Support for this podcast comes from Sonovate, the leading provider of finance and payment solutions for the contingent workforce. If you're placing contractors in the UK or overseas, Sonovate's technology and funding can help you unlock your working capital. Whether you're a large recruitment business or just starting up, with Sonovate, managing your contractors' payments has never been easier, allowing you to focus on expanding your business. Don't let payment deadlines hold you back. Trust Sonovate to keep your funds in place and your business growing. Find out more at www.sonovate.com. That's www.sonovate.com. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 514 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Talent acquisition is changing, work is changing, careers are changing. It has perhaps never been more critical to build and cultivate a professional network. As an industry that spends most of its collective working day on LinkedIn, we like to think that we do this well. But do we really understand how to build, maintain and leverage our networks in these disruptive times? My guest this week is Michael Melcher, an executive coach, leadership expert and author of a new book called Your Invisible Network. In our conversation, we discuss how networks are changing and the networking skills needed to transform careers. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt, thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? So I am Michael Urtuswasigi Melcher. I am an executive coach. I have a company called Michael Melcher Leadership Group slash M2 Leaders. And I'm the author of a new book called Your Invisible Network, How to Create, Maintain, and Leverage the Relationships that Will Transform Your Career. Fantastic stuff. So let's dive straight in and talk about the book. Why have you written the book and why is it called Your Invisible Network? I wrote the book for two reasons. Uh, First, relationships and networking is one of those topics that people kind of know about and they have heard it's important, but it's unclear exactly what you're supposed to do. Uh, There is a lot of nuance, a lot of art in it. And it tends to get superficial treatment. So it it is sort of something that people think about, but in a way keep at arm's length because it seems a little icky maybe. And they're just not exactly sure what you're supposed to do with it. The second reason I wrote a book is that I have always had a strong interest in people who are first. They may be the first to go to college, the first to get an MBA, the first to work in the big city, the first to work in a large professional services organization, what have you. And when you are the first, you are making decisions of long-term consequence, often with very little information. And probably nobody from your family or community of origin can really help you. And I've worked with many, many people in this position, uh, and I have some of those aspects in my own life. And so I wanted to write a kind of guide that would be relevant to them. So it is both a general book about relationships and networking for a business audience, And many, many of the stories are from people who started in one way or another 
as outsiders. And it's not just about what they did well, it's also about what held them back and what confusions they had and what things didn't quite work and how they eventually managed to work their way uh, through the practices that would help them. So really, people who don't have an existing network, they've not kind of inherited one from their family or grown up in a specific environment that gives them you know, huge amounts of, of, of contacts that are useful in working life. I agree with that to some degree. Everybody has a network. Um, we're social creatures. Every single society in the world has a way of relationship building. But the fact is, if you went to a junior college far outside of a major hub, or if your parents were working class, or if, let's say, you're just a technical or engineering person and you haven't had the opportunity to meet lots of people, you just may not have developed that network. I, I called it your invisible network because we all do have these networks around us. It's just that we're we're unaware of them. We can't quite see them, but they're but they're out there. They're waiting to be activated. And there's a secondary meaning, which is that many people's relationships are underdeveloped or even completely transactional. So there is a potential for a deeper, more powerful relationship, but only if you take the initiative to try to make it happen. I want to do a, a deep dive into that in a second, because I think that's that's really, really interesting and very keen to kind of get your thoughts on it. Before we do, just a question about how networking as a, as a concept has perhaps changed in the last few years. Um, you know, certainly before the pandemic, there was a, you know, there was a sense that you built your network, you built your network face to face, even though there were some great digital tools, digital tools out there. Post pandemic with everyone talking into screens for three years, there is a sense perhaps that maybe that's changed, but also people, it's become much easier for people to build networks that are global and not necessarily, you know, bounded by, by location. I mean, do you think that what's happened in the last three years has changed the way that people think about networking? I think it has. I think there was already a general trend toward people thinking that you could just do everything by computer. So anybody in the talent space knows this because there are countless younger people who think that the way you get a job is by applying online into an internet black hole. And we want to think that the world is super efficient and that the best way to apply is to just do your resume and then magically the invisible hand will reach out and and find you. And I remember many people over the years saying, like, I was a perfect fit for that job. And I would say, well, well, who else was also a perfect fit? Hundreds, maybe? So, the, for a long time, we've had this uh, tendency where people will think that technology is actually more efficient than it is. So, that the best way to look for a job is to apply online to hundreds of places. And then somehow, the invisible hand will reach out and find you. And they get incredibly frustrated and will tally the number of places they've applied with no response or no positive response. But in a way, they don't really want to believe that it requires networking and in-person connections and moving from person to person because that's hard. Uh, you have to be vulnerable. Uh, you may have to use skills you don't really know, and it's easier to convince yourself that what you should really be doing is looking at even more sites and applying online. So that was already going on, that there was a feeling that technology had become the dominant force when it wasn't really. 
Um, but at the same time, technology has made some things easier. LinkedIn, for example, it's a fantastic resource that didn't really exist 20, 30 years ago. It gives you a huge amount of information about people. It makes it easier to connect with and maintain what we'll call your weak ties. Um, it should be used to facilitate real-world connections, but it's definitely better than nothing. What what has changed is that during the pandemic, there is a whole generation of people who have never had meaningful in-person relationships in the workplace. There are people who are 25, 26, 27, whose first job was sitting in a desk inside a closet, you know, jury-rigged into an office in their home, sitting in front of their computer for 10 hours a day with their new colleagues. And then it's no wonder that they were so easily poached during the kind of hiring spree of about a year ago, because if, if that's your life and then somebody offers you $10,000 more to also sit at the same desk all day and stare at the computer, why not take it? So I feel like a lot of, um, there is a younger generation where they, they've not had the ability to form meaningful relationships with colleagues and, and, and clients and their lives are a little bit grayscale. They, they may not even know what they're missing at this point. So going back to your sort of previous point and diving into, you know, building networks, how should people build their network or uncover their, their invisible network? What's the best way to think about doing this? Number one, it should not be a full-time job. So my book has a concept called 20 minutes a day, which is to break everything down into smaller units that you can do in some little chunk during the day. And that small, consistent action is much, much more important than, than big, dramatic gestures. The second is that you have seven types of relationships that are critical for your career. One, weak ties. Two, bosses and senior stakeholders. Three, colleagues. Four, clients. Five, sponsors, mentors. Six, friends. And seven, beneficiaries. And so, you actually want to take action toward developing all of those. Not all at the same time, uh, you may be quite strong in some areas and weaker in others, but you want to have a kind of mental model of this is what I'm trying to accomplish over a period of months and, and years. And then the third thing is you need a way to reach out consistently and you can reach out to want to get to know somebody better, or you can do what I call a ping, which is a message that doesn't require a response. Hey, Matt, heard your last podcast episode. It's pretty great. Hope you're well. That's nice. You don't have to respond. But if I send that, I am reminding you that I kind of exist. Or, uh, hey, Joe, um, I heard this coach guy on a podcast sending you the link. It was pretty good. Hope you're well. Uh, You're sending along a resource. So this is tremendously important because we have large networks. They get bigger and bigger as you get older and, and go through more experiences. And so you don't want everything to turn into, let's get coffee, let's have lunch, let's talk about this or that. You want to maintain a type of drip, drip, drip connection so that you have some ongoing connection with a decent sized uh, pool of people. And I think the, the interesting bit there about, you know, pings, about communicating, that, that kind of message always gives me social anxiety because I'm not sure whether to respond to it or not. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, I suppose that's what emojis are for, just in terms of acknowledging. <laughs> Thumbs acknowledging up. Thumbs up emoji has yeah, really exactly, improved networking. Exactly. I've read it. I've read it. But I'd, yeah, I'm not going to set up a, you know, a, a whole chain of communication. In terms of communication, in your book, you mentioned this really interesting concept about minute 32. Of, of a conversation. It, talk us through that and, and give us your kind of best advice on 
ways that you can kind of build more meaningful connections by by deeper communication? Well, one of the f- basic frameworks of the book or the overarching ideas is that you can't really predict who is going to be really valuable to you and vice versa. And you also can't predict what will happen in any one conversation. So what you don't want to do is overqualify, decide ahead of time who's worth it, what's going to come out of this conversation, because you simply can't know. Minute 32 is a moment in a conversation when the good stuff starts coming out, when things you haven't anticipated emerge, when you discover something about the other person, or they discover something about you, or they remember somebody that they knew 10 years ago. And it may not be exactly minute 32. It's it's a sort of metaphor for the moment that you've gone past your agendas, you've warmed up, you've settled in, and you're really just kind of co-creating something and you're not even sure what it is. And it happens all the time. I was talking to a client a couple of days ago who is looking in some different positions. And after about 50 minutes, I remembered another woman I knew in New York who I thought would be a fantastic and wonderful person to talk to, who I knew would actually agree to talk to her and find it interesting. And I've known this woman for several years, and we've talked many times. And until that minute, it it never occurred to me that I could introduce her to this other woman in New York. It just, that's how conversations emerge. And so what you want to do is both have some intention about trying to create conversations and connect with people and also be open to the serendipity of what might might happen and think about it more as a a bit of a volume play over a certain number of conversations some of them will be really good rather than obsessing how any individual conversation will will come out a quick message from our sponsor winolo Hi everyone, I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees... You can save on operating costs, meet demand, and maximize earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over a hundred markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com/pod. That's www.wo.com. O-L-O.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. I think one of the the big challenges of of, of modern life it's it's very easy to connect to people to create to create these weak ties to sort of build these big networks via via things like LinkedIn or or whatever it whatever it might be. How do you manage that though? How do you manage a network effectively with you know so much communication, so many things going on, you know so much so much information about people fully available? What you know what what are the best tools or sort of techniques for really making the most out of your network and managing you know managing that sort of communication and information effectively? Well, I think we can look at it in two different ways. 
The first is managing your communications overall. And we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Like you need to think about what type of habit is going to work for you. Perhaps you like LinkedIn and you spend 10 minutes a day just kind of tooling around and seeing what people are up to and writing short notes and reposting things that they've sent, which people love, by the way. Or perhaps you're, uh, I like to get lunch or drinks. And so once a week, you decide you're going to meet somebody. Or perhaps um, once a quarter, you have a group dinner that you arrange with different people. Or Perhaps uh, you make a habit when you go to a conference of looking people up ahead of time and letting them know you're there and sitting next to them and so forth. So there are a lot of examples in the book, but you can figure out the types of activities that tend to be more meaningful and doable for you. And then you want to build a habit so that you're not just wondering on any given day, hmm, you know, what should I, what should I do here? But the other thing you can do is to be more human in any given conversation. That can include being a bit more vulnerable, uh, sharing more about yourself, being more personal. Uh, one, of, one of the ideas of my book is that people can get more out of their existing relationships and existing interactions than they are already without necessarily spending more time. As an example, um, I have a colleague named Hannah and we have a standing call every Friday to talk about a client we work with. Once a few weeks ago, she said, you know, Michael, um, I'd like you to ask me about my family sometimes because I ask you about your family and I enjoy hearing about it. And I would like you to do that for me. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Um, so I did. And I didn't not want to ask her about her family or what she was up to. Um, it's just that I was sort of down to business and once I started doing this, I really enjoyed it, and it didn't impinge on our ability to get business done in our little half hour, but it allowed both of us to get more richness. So I think a lot of the information flow, it's not clear that it all adds up to anything, right? So how can we make things deeper and more more human? There are a few things around all of this that, that people will find very awkward or not necessarily do very well. One of those is is reaching out to people in the first place because obviously the value of, of a network comes from the, the people that you don't necessarily know know very well, the people that um you know and who and who and who they know. How how do people reach out to people in an effective way that doesn't seem creepy, that doesn't seem like spamming, but is going to help them get a response and start a conversation? Well, first this is uncomfortable because you are connecting with people that you don't have day-to-day -day exchange with. Um, you're trying to interrupt homeostasis. You're trying to get something that wouldn't come just by itself. So yeah, most of the time it'll be a little uncomfortable and that's okay. Like sit in the discomfort. It doesn't have to stop you. I think trying to be happy about it all the time is actually a little bit of a barrier. Like it is a little bit tiring and, and can be hard, but that means you're doing something good. Second thing is, for the reasons you said, I do have a lot of scripts in my book. You know, here's an example of this type of reach out. Here's an example of this one. Here's what you do if no one's responded. It, it's funny because as your audience probably knows, coaching, modern coaching is very much question-based. It's the belief that the client best knows the answers and the coach kind of helps lead them there. But I have discovered in things like this type of communications, it's great to see some models for it. I would say a third thing 
is be clear to yourself what you really want. Do you want to just learn more about the person? Do you want to warm up the connection? Are you really seeking a particular thing? You may not put all that out there the first time, but but you actually need to know what you're really trying to get and not fool yourself. So if you really want a connection to somebody or an opportunity to sell something, know that. Don't pretend you're just trying to be nice because people sort of feel it when when you're kind of mixed in your motives. And then a final trick you can try is uh, if you're feeling a little bit insecure, you can try the phrase, I do have an ulterior motive. Like, hey, Matt, what's listening to your podcast? I'd love to just chat with you sometime about how you built up your podcast. You know, I do have an ulterior motive. I'd love to be a guest one day, or I have a similar idea in the similar lane. And then they can decide for themselves what they want. And you don't have that feeling that you're like holding back or being insincere. And I think that's also, you know, that's great advice for someone receiving the, the the message as well, because I think very often you can look at, you know, look at look at a piece of communication coming in from someone you don't necessarily know, and you're wondering what the ulterior motive is. So if if someone's up front with it, then you know that makes things that makes things a lot easier. Moving on to the other bit that that, that people will find people will find very awkward, which is which is or some people will find awkward is is actually leveraging these relationships. So knowing when and how to ask for something or ask for help. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's very fraught for all of us, right? I was raised by a very independent, self-reliant, uh, single mother who never hesitated to go out and do what she needed to do for her own career or to raise her children. But I was also always taught, don't impose. <laughs> don't don't linger around people's houses at dinner. Don't make people uncomfortable. Don't ask for stuff. Like I think we have a lot of those messages, right? So in terms of asking, there are different ways you can you can ask. So you can ask directly, hey Matt, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Or you can ask indirectly by just stating your needs. Hey, Matt, great to talk to you. What are you up to? Well, I'm I'm actually reaching out and talking to different podcast hosts who have built up good audiences and trying to understand what they did well. So in a way, I'm telling you what I want, but I'm not actually deliberately asking you. And it's a little bit face-saving. You could decide whether or not to, to um, reply. Another thing that is helpful is to think about the difference between asking for something uh, very specific versus something more general. So I want to know how you monetize a successful podcast. That's something very specific, or I'm really interested in learning what you've learned in your 500 plus episodes about how to do this well, right? You can choose what you want to go to. And there's no one solution. You can, you can play around with how you're asking for things. And then the other thing is when you do ask for something don't fudge it. Like, don't add tons of qualifying language. And if you're doing it out loud, don't keep talking. Just shut up. Let the person process and decide how to answer. So, as a final question, how do you think that the way we network is going to develop sort of further over the next over the next few years? What um, what do we need to be keeping an eye on? What what are the skills that we're going to have to uh, going to have to learn? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> First, I do think there is a hunger for real in-person 
interactions of different forms. So not just a cocktail party, but just connecting with other human beings. It is variable. So not everybody has the same desire, but there is a kind of pent up desire to find ways to connect in person, both because of the pandemic and its aftermath, but because technology has so overtaken us that I do think there's this underlying hunger to just be a real human being. But the second thing is, I also think technology is is facilitating things. So, for example, I believe that that people who are introverts find it quite liberating to have Zoom conversations because it's safer, it's more personal, it's more predictable. And so, I, I feel like technology can also facilitate certain types of conversations that might have been might have been difficult. I am just speculating here, but I think with the emergence of things like chat GPT, we're all going to have an eye out for what does it really mean to be human and connect and create in a human way versus what can be like a tool to facilitate those types of communications. And then the final thing I think is very relevant is that how do people connect across perceived power differentials. So that's kind of a big topic in the US now. I firmly believe that everyone has the ability to connect with others, even people who are much more senior or wealthier or powerful. But I also think from the other side is when you are in a more senior position, how can you be more accessible and create a kind of win-win connection so that the other person doesn't have to do kind of all the heavy lifting to to connect with you. Those are some ideas. And so lastly, where can people find you and where can they find your book? You can find me, michaelmelcher.com. That is my company website. It also shows more about me. You can find my book on any book selling platform of your preference, your invisible network. You should be able to find it. And I'm also on LinkedIn and easy to find there. Michael, Thank you very much for talking to me. It has been a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. My thanks to Michael. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, recruiting future feast and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show thanks very much for listening i'll be back next time and i hope you'll join me this is my show